0: Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for us going through the book of Mark, um, that you are speaking to us. You're revealing things about your life. Jesus, you're stirring our hearts after you. And I pray even this morning, as we go through this passage, that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you, Jesus, more clearly. And as we do, that we would begin to shape our lives after you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're in Mark chapter 2, we finally got there and um, we, we, start, Mark, we start an interesting uh, collection of stories now. There's a, you, you'll notice as we go through the next few weeks that there's story after story and each story that we go through over the next few weeks centers around a question. Jesus gets asked a question and that becomes the central part of the story. As this, in this story, that is the central part of the story. What is happening is Jesus is being asked, essentially, how can you say to this man, your sins are forgiven? And then as we go through, he gets asked different things like, why do your disciples not fast? Why are they picking things on the Sabbath? Why this? Why that? And uh, there are questions that begin to get asked of Jesus over the next few stories that highlight us different things about who Jesus is. And they essentially are questions around Jesus' authority. Who are you, Jesus? How can you do this? That is, is the kind of questions. They, they, in one sense, are challenging Jesus. They're saying to Jesus, Jesus, how can you say that someone's sins are forgiven? Why are your disciples not doing this? They're not like curious. They're trying to catch Jesus out, as we will see story after story. And as they are doing this, they are trying to figure out what authority does Jesus have. And so over the next while, we're going to look at some of these stories, and as we do, we'll see what they highlight to us about the nature of Jesus' ministry and the nature of Jesus himself. But this story also, if you remember, we missed out last week, but this story also follows on of the story of Jesus healing the leper. And that story, as we mentioned two weeks ago, is a story about redemption. It is a story more about redemption than about healing. It's about a person who is an outcast from society coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, Will you make me clean? Can you make me clean? He's asking Jesus to be let back into society. To, he no longer wants to be an outcast. He no longer wants to, because of his leprosy, be on the, the outskirts of society, like destined to be alone. He wants to come back in, and he's asking Jesus to declare and allow him in. It's a story about redemption. Um, And this story, you will notice from the question that's being asked, is also a story more about redemption than it is about healing. It's more a story about redemption than it is about healing. It's about Jesus forgiving someone's sins. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get sick and... um, I get the flu or, or something like that. I do all the wrong things. Like, probably when you're sick, you probably should sleep and um, eat healthy and you know drink like ginger tea or whatever it is. Not me. Like when I'm sick, give me the chips and the movies and the coke and like I want everything unhealthy. And uh, and. You know, sometimes what we want and what we need are two different things. I don't know if you've noticed that. For me, when I'm sick, they are on polar opposites. What I want is just comfort food and movies and that. Yeah, Pascal knows him and I, we, we can do movie marathons and things like that. But um, I, I just want the comfort food. I do not want the healthy food. I don't care about the fact that I know the healthy food will make me get better quicker. Um, What I want is to be comforted. But what I need, what I need is to take my vitamins, to sleep in or to drink my ginger tea, to eat salads and whatever healthy foods there are. And in one sense, this is a story about the difference between wants and needs. About what someone wants and what someone needs. It's a story about the difference between someone coming to Jesus for one thing and Jesus giving them something else. And, you know, we've read the whole passage, so we know that they get both. But essentially, it's a story about someone coming to Jesus for one thing and then receiving something else unexpected. And uh, that's what I want to talk about this morning. But there there are a couple things that I, I think is important to highlight, and then we'll get to the main point. Number one is, one radical thing about this story is how passionate the paralyzed person's friends are about getting him to Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that, but that, like, that is a radical part about the story. People are crowding around the house. You can't even get in the door. I mean, it is crazy busy for, for Jesus. And these friends of the paralyzed man, they destroy someone's home to bring this person to Jesus. I don't know about you, but like the boldness and the audacity of these individuals to bring this person to Jesus is quite astounding. They literally destroy someone's home. If this was my home and all of a sudden you, like sitting in there and you're listening to Jesus and it's a great little sermon and like, can you imagine it now? Like the paint starts falling down of the ceiling. You're like, what's going on? Dust all of a sudden and then like someone's face, hello. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a it's a crazy story, but the guys they are literally pulling the tiles off of the the roof, and it wasn't like that. They were clay roofs, like over branches, and then the clay would be hardened, and there would be different levels uh, of clay, and they would have to pull off the soft clay, and then they would pull off the the hardened, baked chunks of clay, and they would be pulling these things off, scraping it off, pulling it off, moving. the the kind of branches that were the supporting things, I mean, they were getting to Jesus no matter what. It's a pretty radical thing. They destroy the home, but they are desperate to bring their friend to Jesus. They're desperate to bring their friend to Jesus. They recognize, as other people do, that if you come to Jesus, Jesus is going to meet your need in a a radical and profound way. So they tear up the roof, they bring uh, their friend to Jesus, they lower him down, and then I, I think the other part that I found profound about this story is not just are the friends radical about bringing someone who has a need to Jesus, the other part that is profound about this story is that no one actually says anything but Jesus. Like no one actually says anything. So the paralyzed person doesn't ask Jesus for anything. The friends aren't asking Jesus for anything. It's like they just put the need in front of Jesus knowing that Jesus is going to respond. They come to Jesus with such a radical expectation that if they just find themselves in front of Jesus, they know that he's going to respond. Which is pretty radical uh, about Jesus, and so they lower the man in, and then Jesus sees us. Which uh, you, you know, Eugene and I and a couple others were talking about this passage last week, and um, uh, one of the things. We said it's like, you can imagine, Eugene mentioned, So you can imagine like everyone's just gone silent at this moment. You're like, what is going on? Is Jesus still preaching? Is he not preaching? What is going on? The chaos is ensue. Like Jesus, everyone's probably waiting to see what Jesus is going to do in this moment. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He hasn't asked Here's the amazing thing, is he hasn't asked for healing. He hasn't asked for his sins to be forgiven. Everyone, though, is expecting Jesus to heal. The way the story is told, everyone is like 99% sure that Jesus is going to heal this man. He's come in paralyzed, he's lying on a mat, which means he's probably a quadriplegic. Uh, they say, which means he's fully paralyzed. Um, they they are expecting him, Jesus, to heal the person. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. What does Jesus highlight in this moment? Jesus highlights in this moment that this person's need, his greatest need, is for his sins to be forgiven before Getting up and walking. His greatest need is redemption. His greatest need is redemption. Before his physical need needs to be met, before his need to walk, before the leper's need to have his skin, you know, made right. What do, what is the need that they want? They want. Re- the leper wanted redemption and Jesus is saying to the paraplegic, what you need above all else is redemption. What you need is your sins to be forgiven. Now, at that time, we, we know this from another story in, in the Gospels. There's another story where, where the people come to Jesus and they say, because of a person's sickness, they say, who, who sinned? It's him or his parents, you know, because he was born, uh, he was born sick. And so they say to, to Jesus, who was the sinner? The parents, the, the kid? And Jesus said, no, he was born like this for God to be glorified. So, you know, Jesus is gonna heal him and it's gonna bring glory to God. And, uh, but there was this belief in those days that if you, something like this happened to you, it must have been because of sin must have been because of sin. And so Jesus goes and he addresses the biggest, most essential need. He says to the person, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He addresses the most essential need that the man has and that was probably the belief of the day was that that is the biggest need That's the reason why they would have the passover and the atonement and all these different sacrifices our greatest need from God himself is for our sins our rebellion our stubbornness our waywardness our walking away from God our greatest need from God is for our sins to be forgiven. And Jesus does that. But what the question highlights is this is everyone knew, as the belief was in the day, and as we still believe today, is that who can forgive sins? They are thinking. The teachers of the law were sitting there as it says, who can forgive sins except God alone? What is the answer to that? The answer is God alone can forgive sins. That is the answer. That is, they are thinking correctly. So the fact that Jesus says your sins are forgiven is either blasphemous or Jesus is making a statement about who he is. It's either blasphemous, which they are thinking correctly, or Jesus is making a statement about who he is. And we know he's making a statement about who he is because his response to them is the response of saying this when, when he says to them, which is easier, for me to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now, I don't know about you, but myself, Eugene Tabani, have pondered over this question multiple times over probably the last year, because at some point you have to ask yourself, well, which is easier? Like, no one actually answers the question. Which is easier, to say, you know, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, you know, pick up your mat and walk? And the reality is that this question is really hard to answer. Of of which is easier, it's really hard to answer because both are difficult statements. The one is difficult to say. Get up, take your mat, and walk. The one is difficult because if he doesn't, you look like a fool. You know, I, I don't know about you, but like, I don't have the courage to say that to someone. Um, but. Because if you say it and they don't get up and walk, Jesus looks like a fool. Can you imagine that? Jesus is like, oh, get up, pick up your man and walk. And the guy's like, nothing's happening. Just can't do it. Like, like then Jesus looks like a fool. The other question looks really easy. Your sins are forgiven. Like if I say to XO, your sins are forgiven, like no one knows whether they are forgiven or not. So it looks really easy, but everyone knows that that question is really difficult because only God can forgive sins. So there's this tension in the, in the, in the question, there's this tension in the statement that Jesus is making. He's essentially saying both are difficult. But in reality, to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, is infinitely more difficult because only God himself can genuinely forgive sins. So He he's saying to them, obviously, well, not obviously to us, but to them it would have been a bit more obvious because of blasphemy and this and that and would have been regarded as blasphemous and he's saying to him it is more difficult for me to say this but I'm saying it to you so that you will know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins he's saying that to him he's saying I'm responding in this way I am addressing the greater need here so that you will know that the Son of Man is the Son of God. So that you will know that the Son of Man has come, as it says in Luke, to seek and to save those who are lost. The Son of Man has come, as the question will be answered right now. Uh, near the end of Mark, he has come to lay down his life for his people to bring redemption uh, to his people. I've said it this way so that you will know that the Son of Man has not just come like the prophets. He's not, he's essentially trying to highlight. He's not like, just like Elijah or Moses or Elisha, who you have seen being able to perform miracles, being able to see people healed or to bring about miraculous provision. What he is doing is he's highlighting to them that he himself is more than just any one of the prophets. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Essentially, the question that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law are asking, is they asking, Jesus, do you, who are you? And do you have real authority? Are you just like another prophet or are you the Messiah who has come? And Jesus is answering them. And he's saying, I am the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who has come to rescue God's people from their sin. We started the book of Mark, and the book of Mark opened up with the question, who is Jesus? You'll remember from the start of our series. And the question is, who is Jesus? And, and, tr- and the book of Mark tried to answer that. Jesus starts out answering, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the question being posed again. Who are you, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who has been given authority to forgive sins on this earth. But what this passage highlights to us is that when we come to God, God meets us sometimes at the point of our needs and not just the point of our wants. And the point of our need is redemption, redemption, the being brought into reconciliation with God. And redemption requires that our sins be forgiven, that we are made right, That God forgives us of our waywardness, of our sins, of our rebellion, and he makes us right with God. That is the point of our greatest need. Sometimes we come to church, I don't know know what brought you to church, but sometimes we come to church because we want our marriages fixed, we want our loneliness dealt with, we want to try and get rid of some of the, the guilt and shame. I was once in, in London, I was visiting my sister, she lives there, and we had to go to this dress-up party uh, for New Year's Eve, and so I was going to their kind of like New Year's dress-up party, and so I didn't know what to go as, and I hate dress-up parties, so I dressed up as a, a vicar, you know, like, a, like an Anglican priest, with like all black and like the collar. So I dress up as the vicar and we go to this New Year's Eve party and now we're back on the tube, like the the underground railway and I'm dressed up. And all of a sudden, like this was the weirdest thing for me. Like I'm literally on this packed underground tube and people start like sidling up to me and confessing their sins. (laughs) Like, and it's New Year's Eve. So, like, and people are like, it's my New Year's resolution. Father, I'm coming back to church. I'm like, I'm dressed up, dude. Like, this is just my fancy dress. What's your problem? Like, but people are like, literally, no jokes. Like, they're coming to me and they like telling me their New Year's resolutions. They're like, I've had such a bad year. I know I've done wrong. I'm like, yo, what is going on? Like, you're either very drunk or like, this just convicts you, you know? Um, But like the reality is, is that often what happens is we come to church just because we need to alleviate the guilt. We need someone just to come and help us get over that thing that we're feeling that's really bugging us. Sometimes we go to church, this uh, happened in my family, because we want our kids to go to Sunday school Um, So I I had family members who went to church because they didn't want teaching, but they wanted their kids to grow up some sort of, of moral. So, you know, we'll go to church, drop the kids off, and if no one sees us, we'll duck out and come back at the end of the service. But sometimes people come because they want their kids. Sometimes we come because we want something sorted out. Sometimes we come because we're in a financially difficult situation. Whatever it is that we think we want from church, what this story highlights is that we have a greater need. And that greater need is that we have a brokenness within inside all of us. We have a rebellion. We have sin. We have sin. Sin are the things that we put in our lives that we make more valuable than God himself. Sin, essentially at its root, is idolatry. Sin, essentially at its root, is saying that we, our souls, and our wants and our desires, are more important than God himself. Sin is essentially selfishness or self-worship. It is making ourselves out to be the gods of our own worlds. But Jesus sees a man who is broken, completely paralyzed, but has another brokenness. He needs his sins to be forgiven. And when his friends lower him down, probably not expecting that response at all, Jesus looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Essentially saying, son, I am welcoming you into the kingdom. I am redeeming you. I am bringing you in like the leper who was brought in, who was made clean, who was welcomed back into the community because Christ gave him redemption. So this paralyzed man gets his greatest need met. He gets welcomed into the kingdom. Son, your sins are forgiven. And this is for all of us. All of us have wants desires maybe the desire to be successful the desire to get out of a particular difficult situation but we also have this need and the need is for our sins to be forgiven and us to be reconciled back to christ and these two stories that one that we went through last time one that we went through this time is the reminder that our greatest need in coming to Christ is the need for redemption. It is the need for forgiveness. It is the need to be welcomed in to God's kingdom. And that trumps all other wants. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. You need how your rebellion dealt with. I need my rebellion dealt with. You need the outsideness of being outside the kingdom to be dealt with, to be invited in. I need to be invited in. And these stories tell us that when we come to Jesus, what Jesus does first, foremost, and most importantly, is he invites us despite our uncleanness, despite our brokenness, Despite our sinfulness, he invites us into the kingdom and makes us whole. Can I pray? Lord, I pray for every one of us this morning. We all need our sins forgiven. We all need to be welcomed into the kingdom. We all need redemption. And I pray, Lord, that you, by your grace, would speak to each one of us individually this morning and that you would invite us into your kingdom. You would redeem us. You would rescue us from our brokenness in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for anyone who is particularly struggling with guilt or shame or just the effects of a sinful life that is just causing brokenness, I pray, Lord, that you would look at them this morning. You would call them by name. You would invite them, despite the fact that we so easily run from you, you would invite them and invite all of us into your kingdom this morning because of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done.